As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. I'm Greg O'Keefe and I'm joined by my colleague and fellow Everton correspondent Paddy Boyland with our festive special and our last podcast before the uh, before the new year. So plenty to talk about and plenty of positives to talk about. Before we get stuck into that, uh, a little bit of information about one of the best gifts you can give this Christmas. If you subscribe to Athletic, you can give another subscription for free. Uh, it's a great present for any football fan this Christmas, as I say. Uh, you can enjoy all our great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of the Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod that's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod from pod to pod how are you Mr Boyland <laughs> I'm good I'm good yeah um it's always a little bit manic at this time of year isn't it with the with the games coming thick and fast and trying to keep the site occupied and trying to get things in the bag match coverage all these kinds of things but made an awful lot easier and an awful lot better when Everton uh, are picking up again and getting some wins under the belt. So yeah, looking forward to talking for once about uh, back-to-back Everton victories. Some 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 good, really really good signs, some promising signs, and different kinds of performances. I think to to what we've come to expect from mm. Ancelotti's Everton this season. Yeah, really really positive stuff. Mm. Doesn't everything feel just that much easier and better and brighter when Everton are winning? Eh? Well, let's start with the win on Wednesday evening at the King Power Stadium, Pat. Uh, 2-0 win, I don't think many sort of people expected, uh, just like they didn't probably expect Everton to, to beat Chelsea on Saturday. But they did. And there's there's something about the recalibration that, that Carlo Ancelotti has uh, delivered in the absence of just so many key players. And then another one going early in the game in Alain last night, um, which for me underlines what we already know about his pedigree as a manager. But, you know, how, as you hinted, Everton have found a way to win that's different from what we've seen, but very, very effective. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the wins over Chelsea and Leicester were a testament to that. I mean, you you only have to look at the fact that I think both sides before the game, the respective games, could have gone top to see yeah. what kind of form Leicester and Chelsea were, were both in. So that tells you an awful lot about the, the scale of the task that awaited Everton. But I think what's been most impressive in this run is that Everton have had to find a different way uh, to um, get points on the board, win matches in the absence of some really key players, like you say. And we, we, we only spoke on the last podcast about how there needed to be this move towards a, a 4-3-3 uh, or a, a variation of 4-3-3. As it turns out, it's 4-2-3-1, I think. Um, but Ancelotti's almost learned a few lessons, I feel. And Everton have come out kind of significantly stronger the other side. And, and you, you look at it and think to yourself, if Everton can win with this team missing these players against such good opposition, then it does bode bode well. It, I, I don't know about you, but it almost feels as though we found a different way of playing, mm. a, a, another formula. And we've become kind of so used to watching Everton in the in the early part of the season blowing sides away with expansive football and Hammers playing those lovely diagonals into Richarlison <laughs> and Luca Dean. Yeah. Calvert-Lewin poaching around the box. There was a free-flowing and expansion to that play, that free-flowing style and expansive nature to that play that I think was really easy on the eye and meant that even when they were conceding goals, they just looked like they were going to score four or five every single time. And yeah. They obviously dropped off. I don't think you can do that as Everton over the course of a whole season. And you certainly can't without the players they're missing currently. And we had this little interim period, it felt to me, this, this little interim period against probably post-Derby all the way up to 30 minutes into the Burnley game at Turf Moor, where Ancelotti was almost looking for a new formula. He, he knew he'd have to do something slightly different. Yeah, But go closer to what had given Everton so much success earlier in the season. Quite obvious 3-4-3 three, three, three wasn't working. Three at the back wasn't a system that the players were used to playing and they, they struggled a little bit there. And a little bit back to the basics, it feels, a little bit back to basics and um, back four, players all knowing their roles. Counter-attacking in the main and looking to, to score goals off set pieces and counter-attacks. And it served them really, really well. So if the question was, how do Everton play without Hammers and without Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman? Before Burnley, I'd have said, to be honest, I don't know. But whatever's happening isn't working. Now I think we can say there is a way forward without those guys. There is a, there is a way that Everton can play. Maybe a blueprint against your top four, five, six sides in the league, particularly mm. away from home where you're not going to have much of the ball, where Everton are able to get loads of success. And that's been the story for me. I've really, really enjoyed watching players filling in and mucking in and fighting for each other, battling to win the ball and um, these kind of really committed team performances that almost hark back to the David Moyes era, dare I say it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. It's also the, classic Everton, isn't it? It is, it is. And, and, and particularly, I would say, the game against Chelsea, where... The spirit and the spirit of the fans as well, it must be said, but the spirit of the fans just seemed to take the players up a gear and 
they just did the basics so, so well to the point where Chelsea were just starved of what I would consider to be any real clear-cut chances in that match. Leicester, apart from one Jamie Vardy chance, you'd arguably say the same. So a reversion to kind of the basics of football, but still playing some nice stuff at times and still scoring some good goals. And like I say, it feels like there's a new formula here and I think that bodes incredibly well for, for Everton moving forward this season. Well, I agree. It does. Um, in some ways, it also, I think, will test Ancelotti, but I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, one way that I think the, just to build on what you're saying, I think that the solidity has been achieved is coming back to a, a back four. And um, Michael Keane, I know we're both an admirer of Michael Keane, has been absolutely immense. In, that. in fact, he's been absolutely immense, as you wrote back in June now. Doesn't seem that long ago, does it? Um, since the restart, you know, he's. I know you and I were chatting last night while I, you know, we were watching the game and I was doing my piece, and you uh, you came up with a cracking stat about the amount of passes that he now attempts from uh, from the twenty three site, and you know, it's it's doubled, isn't it, or, or approximately mm. doubled? He, he's more or less. which would indicate to me, you know, this this added confidence on the ball, but it, it's warranted because he's so he's careful with the ball. And he's accurate and he's calm. And that bleeds into everything he's doing for me at the moment. He, he's metronomic in the air. He, he wins everything. And I, I I struggle to remember. I mean, I'm sure there have been, but in a long time, I haven't seen a player transform his fortunes from someone who could really have gone either way, but felt like a bit of a flop for, for what Everton paid you know, 25 million back in 2017 to someone now that I could see no matter what the chopping and changing is in the centre, I can see them building a, a team around him. And and I would be surprised if the time comes that Seamus Coleman uh, retires, if he wasn't really in the shout to be the next club captain too. Yeah, well, it, it, it's something we've written before as well. We, we know there are a few lads, Michael Keane, Mason Holgate, Luca Dean, that have aspirations of being Everton captain one day. And, and Keane even if he's not got the armband, has wanted to develop as a leader. I, I, th- I think we are starting to see that now. And maybe we've seen it since lockdown and Project Restart. But I, I, th- I think there's a good case here that, kind of under the radar at times, he's become Everton's best central defender in that period. Maybe from yeah. 2020 on. Absolutely. Start of 2020 yeah. on. Almost kind of faultless. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling like you to remember too many rickets in his game and I think the, the, the big improvement first and foremost is in his confidence levels there, there was a time where he was seen as kind of the ultimate confidence player and if, if he made a mistake or one of his teammates made a mistake it maybe took him a while to recover what I think you get now is somebody that's so composed and so confident both in what he can do and what he's being entrusted to do by the manager that he's able to kind of overcome those hurdles now, those maybe those mental hurdles in his game. It, I mean, you, you you wrote in in your piece from from Leicester, and, and I've written before that during lockdown he kind of went away and worked with his former youth team coach at Manchester United, Paul McGuinness, and they worked on the kind of the basics of defending. It was almost like a I need to go back to basics here, work on my movement, work on my f- positioning, work on my footwork. And he almost looks half a yard quicker now. Maybe that's just my imagination. But the the days of I've seen him turn slow, a little bit like a tugboat, and and getting outpaced, 
seemed to be over to an extent, and most of his defensive work is really, really good. I think I think he is. I think he's the pillar at the moment of that central defence. I think he's the one where you maybe look at him and go, "It's Michael Keane plus one other." Mm. And maybe at times last season it was Mason Holgate plus one other, mm. but I think he's he's a, he's the stalwart in there now. He's the one that's organising that defence. Very good in the air, like you say. Has got better across the ground with his positioning and his his movement, thanks to the work he did with with Paul McGuinness over Zoom, the training work. And we've seen his confidence bit by bit grow. And I don't know if you remember the the Crystal Palace game, but he's striding out from the back with the ball spraying passes around uh, in the build-up to goals and, and in the build-up to kind of important moves for Everton against West Ham in the Carabao Cup. There's a lovely flight of ball over the top, which Calvert-Lewin latches onto and scores from. And I think it's it's symptomatic of a player that's really grown under Ancelotti's tutelage. My question would be, has he improved the most of any player under Ancelotti's watch. I think it comes down to basically, for me, it's a straight shootout between him and Calvert-Lewin. Um, that that would be my question because I, I think the extent of his improvement has really been quite stark. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, it is, it's, it's a tough call. Um, I suppose the most tangible and headline-grabbing improvements have been to the younger man with Calvert-Lewin with this this year. Um transformation in his goal return and, and just ability to lead the line and, and everything else in terms of his ability to be a, a I'd say world class but I suppose he is he's, play, he's playing for England at the moment uh, certainly one of the best young centre forwards in the Premier League let's, let's say if not in, in Europe um, but Keane nevertheless I can see why why it's neck and neck someone else who, who's improved albeit uh, in a in a very much condensed period, and albeit that you know there was never particularly any down period where we doubted him because he's so new, is Ben Godfrey. Um, the lad hasn't really played in his proper position since he joined. Uh, he's been all over the the sort of back four. He's been right back. He's been now recently left back. I'm blown away by him to be honest, especially against Chelsea. Um, I see, which I didn't. I, you know, I I wasn't didn't know much about him at Norwich. You know, our colleagues. Uh, spoke very highly of him, Michael Bailey. Um, but after I see a player there that has that been a, a fantastic bit of recruitment and could well go on to be a really, really, excuse me, a really top player and, and an England international. Again at left back last night, he's got the pace, he's got the tenacity, the reading of the game. Has he, has he surprised you how quickly he's developed? Well, it, it's interesting actually because I, I tweeted from Ancelotti's pre-Leicester press conference and Ancelotti said something along the lines of he's really surprised me in relation to Ben Godfrey and I had loads of kind of quite sarky responses back saying things things along the lines of oh it's great that he's surprised isn't it don't we do our due diligence on players and I I don't think Ancelotti meant he surprised me he's a much better player than I gave him credit for before he joined I think what he was saying was, he surprised me in these, in this context, in, in this situation, in these roles that he's had to play. And, and looking at it, since he came in, he was a centre-back at Norwich. But here he's already played as a right-back against Southampton, as part of a three in the centre against Fulham and others, at left-back now numerous times. And yeah, it's not been perfect. He's given away things here and there. 
But that's a really tough ask for still a young player in Godfrey, who's still learning his craft a little bit. It's a really tough task to come into the side and perform um, like he has done in the main. And I think he's he's another one for me. He's grown and grown and grown and really hasn't looked out of place at left back. What, what, I, what I loved about the performance against Chelsea was they were defending quite wide, Holgate and Godfrey. And they were very much, it was, let's keep it tight. Let's keep the distance between the back four kind of relatively minimal so that Chelsea can't play through us. But as soon as the ball went out to the Chelsea wide players, Holgate and Godfrey were like a pair of sprinters on the, on the blocks ready to go, ready to get right out there quickly using their pace to block off the crosses. And that's what Everton have done it so, so effectively for me, both against in the main against Chelsea, but also against Leicester. You consider that Chelsea started with Olivier Giroud up front, who's, who's very good in the air. But Godfrey and, and Holgate and the rest of the side didn't really give him much of a sniff in that game. Um, they, they've also been really good, both Godfrey and Holgate, alleviating pressure at times. I think they're both comfortable in possession, maybe Godfrey even more so than Holgate. And that, that's one of the attributes of Godfrey's game that I think excites Everton, his physicality, his speed, but also his, his ability to play out. What they've done so successfully, particularly against Chelsea, is just picking the ball up when Everton were under pressure and just motoring and just going and going and going down the line with the ball and getting Everton 40, 50, at times more yards up the pitch. <laughs> Fantastic runs from both of them against Chelsea. Um, and at times he's, he's almost like the road runner, isn't he? Godfrey, he's just so quick, so so speedy. And what it boils down to for me is that Everton have paid twenty million initially, and maybe at one point they weren't necessarily going to go down that route, and they were kind of looking at loan players because they'd already spent most of their budget. But they decided to push the boat out for this lad, and they've decided to push the boat out on him for a reason because. They know that he's got a huge glass ceiling and whatever else you say about the, the elements he needs to work on, the raw ingredients are great, aren't they? You've got a lad standing comfortably over six foot, so he's tall, got great physique, can play in a number of different positions if needs be, even though he's probably a centre-back long-term, good passer of the ball, comfortable in possession um, after spells in defensive midfield throughout his career. And just, just everything quick, strong, tackles well, does the basics on the whole pretty well, comfortable in the air. All those kinds of things, I think, that, that they, to me, they mean that Everton have got a player of real potential here, vast, vast potential. Um, and I'm excited to see what he does now because um, it, it, it's been, a, particularly in the context of what he's had in front of him, I think it's been such an excellent start to his time at Goodison. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, the host of a special episode of Giant produced by The Athletic. It's the story of Chester City's American dream, a dream that turned into a nightmare. This is Terry Smith. He's coached teams to honours in England, Europe and the United States, one of football's most celebrated coaches, American football that is. Now he wants to conquer another sport. I think I've probably got, uh, you know, more years of coaching experience than just about anyone. Not in soccer. No, not in soccer. Search for Giant on Spotify to listen to the full episode. In terms of looking forward, of course, we've obviously got Arsenal at the weekend and then a big, big game in the Cup on the horizon. But let's just reflect on what we hope for in 2021 and in the Christmas period. Two wins has put Everton, as I'm sure every Blue knows, back right in the mix, fifth in the league, 23 points, only five points behind Liverpool, who obviously went top after beating Tottenham. And a whole 10 places above Arsenal. I don't think many people would have thought that um, when we were looking at the certainly the uh, the the period when both clubs changed managers almost a year ago and there was a bit of synergy there with you know Arteta and Ancelotti and even people suggesting that either or would have taken over. Can we make it three wins in a row on on, on Saturday? And beyond that, you know, what what are we hoping for in the new year? I have to say now, my um, sort of I have to keep resetting where I think Everton, are, where I think Everton, are, you know, are aiming for, but it still for me falls on the absolute must, which is to throw all the um, strongest planning, all the strongest lineup, everything into uh, the cup competitions, and specifically the one that's right in front of them in the League Cup. Um, that's always going to be my would be my priority, and I know Ancelotti has spoken very compellingly about, you know, the, the League Cup and the Carabao Cup. So if he was going to rotate, it's tough because you see the league table opening up, but I would say rotate for Arsenal um, and then see, you know, and then get that team as strong as you think it has to be for the uh, for the following game. But he also has a headache, headache even with how you fit James Rodriguez back in. Yeah, you, You'll be doing the game on Saturday. What, what, do, you, what do you think of that and then beyond? Well, first of all, I don't think it's a given, and we're still awaiting team news for that game. I don't think yeah. it's a given that James Rodriguez is is a hundred percent fit to to face Arsenal. Certainly, when Ancelotti spoke to us before the Leicester game, there appeared to be an element of doubt in my mind, and um, that there was a, in in his mind too, I should say. So let, let's see how that goes. He's going to be assessed individually. He's obviously back in, in training to an extent. Largely individual work, running and gym and kind of light work with the ball. But there's, the, there's a process. He needs to step it up. He needs to get back in contact training with the, with the rest of the squad. It's, it's a headache for Ancelotti, but it's a good headache to have, isn't it? Because you come off the back of a couple of wins and people have put their hands up for selection. Given that this has been a winning team, I wouldn't be tempted to change too much. I'd keep things more or less as they are, and that's in terms of the system and the personnel. But I just wonder if we're getting towards a period now where Alex Awobi is doing so well on the right and providing so much cover as well for whoever's at right back. 
yeah. that it, it almost becomes Iwobi on the right in this 4-2-3-1 and then it's Gilfi or James for the number 10 role and I think mm. the number 10 role probably could be- benefit James so that's one thing I would wonder about certainly if Seamus Coleman's not back although I think there is a chance that he'll play against there is some chance he'll play against Arsenal that's one to keep an eye out for in terms of other wishes for 2020 silverware like you say more than anything else I think silverware I think has got to be something that we're aiming for after that long barren trophyless run absolutely got to be I I think so I think so I mean if you if you said to me now Everton can finish fifth and won't win a trophy um, or Everton can finish eighth and win a trophy I'd I'd take the latter option well I I don't know about you it's 100% the same you know, yeah, so in a heartbeat, especially if eighth. Well, obviously, winning a trophy would get you into the Europa League, wouldn't it? So there's just no debate for me. Yeah, I I, I don't think there's a debate either. So I think it's got to be taken. Yeah, it, it becomes tougher if the decision is between finishing fourth and say winning a cup. Which one you prioritise? Because Everton don't have the biggest squad in the world. It must it must be said. But that would be one of my targets, and then the other, um, the other thing on my wish list, which is. A slightly shorter term thing, hopefully, um, is the quick and speedy return of Alan after he picked up his hamstring injury against mm. Leicester. I thought he was magnificent in the opening, however long he was on the pitch, probably about half an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Absolutely magnificent, both in terms of winning the ball back, but also in some of the passes he was playing, particularly out to Richarlison and Awobi on the wing. So, Thankfully for Everton, Ducore mucked in. Um, I, I put a stat on Twitter earlier or earlier today where I, I wrote that, um, according to Opta, he, Ducore, this is, made 15 ball recoveries against Leicester, kind of assuming Galland's mantle. And no Everton player has managed more in a league game this season. So that shows you how much defensive work he got through. Um, you'd obviously rather have Alan back than not because I think he's pivotal to the way Everton play but it's nice that they've got somebody in Ducore who can at least look to do some of the same things so yeah the, the other wish would be to get Alan back um, despite how magnificent Ducore was as well because I think if Alan was the best player on the pitch from 0 to 40 or whenever he went off Ducore was the best player in the pitch yeah. from yeah. 40 and Alan going off right the way through to full time he just seemed to be everywhere just seemed to be winning those tackles pushing Everton up the pitch with simple but effective distribution. And maybe that was his best performance. Maybe that was his best display in an Everton shirt alongside Brighton because he was just, like I say, absolutely everywhere. So, yeah, I think I think you've got to, despite Alan's injury, you've got, you've got to be positive. You've got to look at this run and say Everton are only two points ahead of Arsenal. They're only two points off second place in the Premier League table. So there's a chance, as ever in this league, particularly this season, if you start to accumulate wins in quick succession, then you can very quickly put yourself right in the fray for all manner of things. And this is the season for that. So um, let's, let's let's hope they can continue to, to, to target wins. Arsenal is a game they can win. And I think, putting my neck on the line, they should win. Um, if they've got aspirations of being in the top four, that's Ancelotti's aim. Um but there's also an eye on that Wednesday night game against 
against Manchester United at Goodison, which should well be a cracker as, as, as well. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Touching again on the dilemma over James Rodriguez, you know he's, he's clearly Everton's arguably one of the league's best technical players. He's uh, able to conjure something out of nothing. You know he can create chances, seemingly at will. A, a tight game, he'll open up. But at the same token, the 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 sort of the flip side of him is that whatever way you look at it, as he's being deployed at the moment, and Carlo Ancelotti as as quite plainly said he's given him this remit you know he doesn't expect defensive work from him it leaves the fullback virtually whenever a team can get the ball back from Everton when, when Everton are attacking and and, tra- and and get it in transition it's 2v1 all the time yeah. and whoever the fullback is that's going to be very 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 difficult and it's it's going to leave Everton conceding a lot more chances than they have done in the last two games absolutely what you do I mean do, do you have to find a, a new role for him because why would you it's an absolute match. This is why Ancelotti really is. I know, it's, I know that's something that's going to going to really sort of absorb him too, because his, you know, he's obviously been fundamental in getting Rodriguez here. Rodriguez certainly hasn't come to not be in the team. But what do you do? Mm, well, uh, this, this is why I I mentioned the idea of maybe Hammers and Sigurdsson dovetailing in that number ten role, because I think it yeah. affords him slightly less defensive responsibility yeah Sigurdsson works still... a lot harder than, than him though and, and Sigurdsson got through a lot of work in the last two games I take your Sig- point Sig- absolutely Sigurdsson's been good and I think yeah. if he were to be dropped for anyone at the moment he could make a case that he's being hard done to uh, mm-hmm. I, t- I totally totally agree um, I love the way he stepped up and took responsibility for the penalty in yeah. a difficult moment actually with Richarlison Kept his head, rolled it in, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that that goes for him. He was obviously captain that day as well. Um, I, I thought his performance was pretty understated against Leicester, but good on the whole. Got through a lot of work and made some good passes. So he would he would be harshly done to if 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 he's dropped. But that that number ten role uh, that 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 is a role I do see personally. This this is me, not of Carlo Ancelotti, obviously. That that's a role to see him filling effectively if he's given the opportunity, and it's a role I think they should look to deploy him in, because like like you say, if he plays on the out on the right, he doesn't afford quite the same protection that somebody like a Wobie or a Charleston would do, and I think Everton's balance is really nice in those wide areas at the moment. Wobie's yeah. kicked on; he looks much more. Um, he's got he's got much more 
confidence about his game. Beating players on the ball, dribbling really well at a really high success rate, making forward passes, getting crosses into the box with with varying success. It must be said. So I I would not shift either of those two wide players out of their their positions. And I'd say to Hamas, your role then is to play as a number 10 um, and compete with Sigurdsson for that number 10 role. Now, the reason I say it's not a bad headache to have is because Everton don't beat Leicester necessarily with Hamas playing on the right wing. It's not a given because he he doesn't get through the same amount of work. I think you've got to play a slightly different way with Hamas. And maybe they don't beat Leicester in the way they did, if I'm going to qualify it a bit further. Equally, Everton don't beat Brighton and the various other sides that they thumped earlier in the season without Hamas playing the way he did. That's a good playing, point. Playing the way point. they did. Yeah. If, if, if you're going to have... Well, I think Everton had about 30% possession against Chelsea, where Hamas becomes almost redundant. And yes, he, he's, he's better. He's about average defensively, according to the stats that I drew up for my piece on him last week on the site. But it doesn't make use if you're having 30% of the ball and keeping every man behind every man behind the ball in banks of four. It doesn't make sense to, to, to get the most out of him in that way. If you can have 70% of the ball and you're going to flip it, you can have 70, 65, 60% of possession, then I would suggest that the, the one player in this Everton squad that you want in the team is James Rodriguez. So it very much depends on the way you want to play the game. Um, but having him as an option to either start or come off the benches is massive. He's, he's got such, such quality on that left foot. And he's a big chance creator. He's one of the biggest chance creators in the league. Um, one of the most prolific. So a good headache, I think, for Ancelotti to have. What I would say is that over this run of games, what Everton are playing, they've already played Leicester in midweek, but they've got Arsenal on Saturday. Then Manchester United in midweek then um, so that's the 23rd against Manchester United 26th mm. against Sheffield United away 28th against Man- Manchester City at home you're going to need a squad so Hamez will play games Sigurdsson yeah. will play games Iwobi yeah. will play games Anthony Gordon might even play games the, the lesser spotted Anthony Gordon who knows mm. yeah. um, he might be needed even just for cameos off the bench so I think there's an opportunity here for loads of players to stake a claim during this run. Ancelotti said he will rotate and I think they're in a better position now to do so given the way some of those what you might call fringe players before people like Awobi have performed during this run. I'm actually quite excited that we've seen extra glimpses of Everton's squad depth which in truth I didn't really think was always there at times no, earlier no. this season. We, we, yeah, we said about that haven't we? Yeah. Well, exciting is certainly a nice note to, to end on. Um, I just say thank you to everyone who's been listening throughout the year. Uh, I've been, it's been a tough one in many ways, but um, we've really enjoyed recording the podcast and we hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Don't forget that you can subscribe uh, to Athletic and give another subscription as a gift for free. Um, go on, be the big hearted person at Christmas. It's a perfect present for any of you made to love football. Uh, in, enjoy this analysis and all the features and get these ads, uh, sorry, these pods ad free. Don't forget, you can do that by going to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. Yeah, have a great Christmas. I'm sure, Pad, you wish the same. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to everyone for, for listening. Echo what you what you say. And fingers crossed, 2021's even better for, for both Everton and I think the world in general, if, if we're being frank. Yeah, indeed. Well, once again, thank you very much. Up the blues and see you on the other side. Mm-hmm.